It's your special guest host on cliffcentral.com. And you are live with Nikki Temkin on the first Book Central ever on Cliff Central. I'm really happy to be in the studio today, really excited to do my first Cliff Central slot because I love books. And if you don't love books, I hope that after my slot you will love books. <laughs> and either today or tomorrow is World Literacy Day. So it's very fitting that we are doing our first book slot ever. I've got Duncan on the desk. He's been amusing me. And in studio with me, I've got author Rala Zanopoulos. Welcome. Yep. Hi, thank you. How are you? And Rala actually comes from Cape Town, so yeah. how's the Josie vibe? It's great. It's great. It's very funky. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Funkier <laughs> than you expected. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm pleased to hear that. So we're going to be talking about your book called Tribe, and this is mm-hmm. your latest book. It is your third book, am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I have to admit that because this slot was organized in double quick time, because that's me, I'm just very speedy, I have not finished it completely. So you can't ruin the end for me. Okay. But to give a little praise to our listeners, Rala's book is about a group of very, very close friends who meet, you don't actually mention ages too much, but I'm estimating that they're in their early 20s. Yeah. Or yeah, so. At the beginning. At the beginning. And they form an incredibly close bond in a very short space of time. Mm-hmm. And it was very strange when I read the first part of the book because I really related very strongly mm-hmm. to the characters in the book because I had a similar experience mm. in my mm. early 20s mm. with a group of people uh, where we formed an exceptionally close bond in a very short space of time that was very intense. Mm. And as we all know, and let's not even go to Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet, but mm. often these very intense relationships can sometimes result in intense consequences mm. as well. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit, was this book at all autobiographical for you? Um, you know, I never had that gang. I think a part of me was kind of hankering after that tribe that this group of people had. Um, so that aspect was not autobiographical. I think it was something I was jealous of. So I kind of wrote my jealousy into the characters. And isn't that what's great about being a writer? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can have everything you wanted on the page. Um, what I do have is intense friendships I, I got it later on in life. I got it in my 40s, that kind of tribe, that community of friends who sit at a long table. I, do, I think it's autobiographical in that I borrowed – the a lot of the characters are borrowed from people around me, from friends and relatives and little aspects of people I know. Yes, that was my next question, which was – the people that you write about are fragments of people that you know, but nobody's going to read the book and think, bitch, <laughs> you know, or are they? No, I don't. I think every character is carved with so much love. They, they are flawed, but they are kind, loving, really good people who trying to carve their way in a difficult world. There's nobody there that one really finds unpleasant. Um, to go through the characters, and I don't want to give away too much about the book, but there is Jude who's actually got a terrible drug addiction. Yeah. And he's the one who eventually brings everybody back together after 12 yes. years or so of yeah. not seeing each other, yeah. which is actually such a sad thing because when you form these bonds with people, you don't necessarily want to be apart for so many years. Yeah. 
before yeah. coming back together. So there's him. And then there's Olivia who you want to dislike because she's actually so vacuous. Yeah. But you can't really dislike her because she's so unapologetically who she is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think underneath that vacuity is a, v- a very deep woman who, who's fraught with a lot of angst and with a lot of struggle as she's aging and losing her looks and going out into the world with very little besides what she looks like. And underneath it, there's a great brain, which she's never relied on. And because in the book, she's actually a best-selling author. So yeah. she's not just a pretty face. She's a yeah. clever, smart girl. Yeah. And obviously, that they're also grappling in the book, some of them with parenthood. Yes. <laughs> and so there's also that aspect. Yeah. And you yourself are also a parent, right? Yeah, I'm a parent of triplets. So Triplets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. And I, and I actually remember your first book. Uh, please remind me of the name. But that was an autobiographical that was, memoir. Yes. My first book was a memoir of love and madness, which was a memoir about my own experience of living with bipolar disorder so it was completely absolutely different to this book so do you believe that in every author there's the book that they have to get out their system you know that first book that's the cathartic book where you're actually talking about your own experience being bipolar becoming a parent the struggles of that and then once you've got that out the way then that sort of clears clears the path we do write about other things that that interest you or that feel that they want to come out yeah perhaps i think writing is therapeutic but it's not therapy if you want therapy you must go to a doctor you can't expect a reader to pay for your therapy Mm. a reader is paying for an experience um but perhaps that's true. We do. I think in every book we have aspects of ourselves, whether it's a male character or a character of a different, yeah, if, whether it's a character of a different race or a different sex. There's little bits of us in everyone, the goodies or the baddies. We borrow from ourselves. And I know that we're departing from your current book, but to look back at your first book um, of Love and Madness, yes. how difficult is that to put such a personal part of yourself to lay it down on a page and offer it up there for public consumption and possibly even criticism and and especially for somebody suffering from bipolar disorder or illness how difficult is that to to make that leap oh, with my first book i felt that i had a moral duty to get that story out because there is so much stigma associated with mental disorders and with psychological problems. And there is this idea that if you take psychiatric pills, you're going to be a freak. And I really wanted to tell that story and say, okay, look at me. I'm relatively normal looking. I might be a little bit short and I might have fuzzy curly hair. You'll see the photos afterwards. (laughs) She's actually a complete freak. (laughs) But I'm living in the world. And, um, it's tough, but you can be out there. And it was at the first, at that time, it was the first book that had come out about bipolar disorder or depression. And I, I felt that I owed it to the world and to my own disorder to get that book out. So that kind of fueled me. Um, yeah. And it's so interesting that you, that you say there is a stigma attached to bipolar illness because well, I have some very, very good friends who suffer from it, and it is so misunderstood, and I still think misdiagnosed sometimes, and mm. 
mistreated. Absolutely. And and I find that most of the people who I know that suffer from the disorder are incredibly intelligent people mm. and who have so much to offer the world, if only. Mm. And in some cases has led to addiction and depression or is part of the disorder. Mm. So it's actually great to have somebody who's willing to share that experience and put it out there. Mm. Mm. And, but how does negative criticism affect you or do you not really care? Once you put a book out there, it's out there. Uh-huh. Um, I think you've kind of got to let it go. Um, I mean, funnily, in Tribe, the character you were talking about, Jude, he's not actually a drug addict. He's a depressive. And... N- no one's recognizing him for his depression. And when they come back together, Olivia actually goes to his wife and says, the enemy at the door is not the addiction, it's the black dog. Yes. And we've got to bring him back to the world, not not because he's, he's an addict. We've got to bring him back to the world with love and with the medication for his depression. So I haven't got to that part in the book yet, but I am <laughs> hoping that, that there is some... Some healing that's involved where he, because there's obviously a cause as to why he's depressed. And I'm hoping that that reveals himself, reveals itself, um, in the course of the book. Yeah. Um, but don't, you don't tell yeah, me. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah, no, tell sorry. Me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it away. Yes. Um, but I think there is that thing that we see a depressive and we want, we, you know, we, we want to, have a cause sometimes that's just what they are um jude is always going to be a depressive but there's different ways that they can help him and heal him and look after him and in so doing look after one another right. um I, they're all struggling to live in they're trying to make a connection with one another in a very disconnected world because I think we are ironically disconnected we're kind of all li- connecting with one another over twitter and we don't talk, we text. But it's so, it's a super, it's a superficial kind of connection. It's a very superficial it's connection. It's funny, I was actually had breakfast with a good friend of mine this morning and I was talking to her about this group of people that live in Japan. It's a new generation of sort of teenagers that has come out of this internet generation and they're called hikimori and they never leave their rooms. Ah. They live their lives completely online. Ah. So the way this digital world has actually bred a new kind of of way way of connecting to to extremes. Ah. Um, so I, I, yes, we're always connecting. We're always on Facebook and posting messages and tweeting. But are we really connecting on a deeper level? Yeah. Um, and these these group of friends in the book to come back to the plot actually meet on a luxury game farm. Yeah, the big the bulk of the book it starts in Ibiza and then it goes to London and Cape Town and Glastonbury. But the bulk of the book takes place in a luxury lodge in South Africa. And the thing about that is that they've got no internet connection. So they're really stuck with one they're another. They're forced to connect yeah. with each and other. And they have to, they have to, they're forced to connect with one another and deal with whatever issues they have in life. And they're just approaching their forties. So a lot of issues are coming up and they believe they're coming together to save Jude, but actually they've got to save themselves and save one another. Right. Um, and they really understand each other and care and love for each other. So they can do it in a way that is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 In a, in a hopefully constructive way. And another theme that I picked up whilst reading the book was because you've mentioned all these different places in which, which these people, you know, which they reside throughout Mm. the book. Mm. And there's a sense of displacement. And the only home that feels real to them is with each other. 
That's a very good point. Yeah. You mean are. I actually read something into your book that wasn't intentional? <laughs> no, they are. I, I mean, they are one another's home. And I think that's part of their messed upness and their great togetherness is that they are one another's home. Mm. And some people are that for mm. us. Because the one thing that did strike me as well is that that sense of really strong friendship that you strike up in your early 20s with a group of people where there's just this almost supernatural energy and vibration between you that feels almost mystical and, mm. and fatalistic in a mm. way is something that, well, I did, but it's something that you sort of outgrow as you get older and you form your own family unit. Mm. Mm. And although the characters in the book have gone on to do that, they still feel this strong supernatural connection through space and time. Yeah. And I think if you can get, if you can maintain that or gather it back in later on in life, then you've really got solid friends and you've mm. really got people who will carry you through life. Mm. We do lose it, exactly as you say. We do lose it. And in the case of myself, and I can only speak for what happened for us, is when love enters the scenario or there's a breakup, then it splinters the group. Absolutely. And it's very difficult to, to find that again when there's so much deep like hurt or heartbreak or whatever it is. Yeah. But in it, this case, that hasn't happened in the book. It, it was very painful for me writing this book um, and very nerve-wracking because I didn't know if they would be able to save Jude and I didn't know if they'd be able to save one another. But it was very comforting and triumphant to know that they'd, did come together in the end and that they did, through this great love, manage to save one another. Um, because it's great to know that people can. <laughs> it is. And it's also great to know, just like the, you know, like the name of the book is Tribe. We are born into tribes and then we also choose our own tribes. Absolutely. And um, throughout exactly. life, we make tribes, we choose them, we're born into them. But in, in a way, it's the one that you've chosen that can really sustain you. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the one that you have chosen. Yeah. It's not a child that you've made that sometimes you like or you dislike. You love your child, but yeah. in a way it's beyond your control. Yeah. And the one that you're born into is also beyond your control. Yeah. But the one that you choose is yeah. becomes family. Yeah. I think there's that thing that you're born into a family and then there's a family you choose yourself. And boy, you've got to fight for that family. Mm. Um. And there, there was also a part of me, and I also had this with my little tribe back in the, when in the early twenties, which was twenty years ago. Yeah. That's a long time. <laughs> where, where it was a big drug scene, especially with ecstasy and the love, you know, all the love drugs that yes. made you feel those connections. And yeah. you, you do wonder at some point how real these connections are that you form when you're under the influence of, of these amazing drugs that make you feel. You know, love for the whole world, MDMA and ecstasy yeah. and all that. And I think we were all conned by that because let's get real, those were drugs. Mm, they were. <laughs> it was not the people speaking, it was the drugs. Yes. So maybe that's why a lot of people felt betrayed because they did feel like, oh my God, we're making this deep, deep connection. And then they woke up with a hangover and there was no connection. So this is a group of people who have to actually navigate the connection that they made. And it was a real connection. It wasn't the drugs. The drugs were the snake in the garden. Mm. That they mm. have to, mm. and then and they may have exacerbated the connection at the yeah. time, or facilitated it rather. Yeah, being a catalyst, but they do 
have a deep bond and connection, yeah, which is very heartwarming when you when you read about friendships like that. Because I think a lot of us, and we're talking about the digital age and connection, but a lot of us, I think, have become quite cynical about yeah. those type of friendships uh, that still exist after years, and you just you know you, where you still have that that deep sense of love and care for somebody. Mm. I think we we live in a more cynical world now than we did twenty years ago when it comes to friendship. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's true. Um, yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, there's one, there's two characters in it who are millennials. And when I started writing this book, I was caught up in the whole millennials have got a sense of entitlement and, uh, you know, the, the whole thing that we quite knock millennials. And but the, by the time I was finished, they were quite strong characters who had been through a lot. And I thought, yo, this is a generation that has come of age during a recession, during a war, it ain't been that easy and they're out there hustling themselves. And it is a cynical, exactly what you're saying, it is a cynical age. Although I feel that the millennials, and I could be wrong because I don't actually know any that well. <laughs> My kids are still not millennials. Yeah. But I feel that they're actually fairly optimistic despite everything that's going on in the world. Maybe because it's a cynical world. Yes. So they're backlashing. It's a backlash against yeah. their parents and the generation of cynics and skeptics. Uh, uh, perhaps. Yeah. It could be that. So the book has some very, very interesting, interesting three themes. And if you've read Rala's previous books, and I'll talk a little bit about the one, the only one that I haven't read out of yeah. the three, <laughs> which is Bubbles. Yes. Yeah. Because the publisher never sent me the book, you know, curses to you, <laughs> all right, <laughs> and, and a stern face, okay, a stern face on radio, but we'll go back to that just now, but if you have read Rolla's books, and this is, is a departure, it is a huge from, departure from the previous books, yeah. But it's a fantastic read and it's very compelling and well I can't I can't wait to read the rest of it. It's your special guest host on Cliffcentral.com. And I'm back. And I've got Rala Zinopolis in studio talking about a wonderful book called Tribe, a novel that she has written. And we were chatting about the characters and the plot. But there's something very important that I need to ask uh, Rala. And before I do that, I just want to say how happy I am to be on Cliff Central. That's cliffcentral.com. You can scream, you can stream, not scream, although you can scream as well. You can stream from cliffcentral.com on your mobile, your laptop. You can listen to us and you can also catch the podcast afterwards. And you can also even tweet questions to at cliffcentral.com. If there's something on your mind that you want to ask Rala that we've been chatting about or that we haven't been chatting about, you know, you mustn't be shy because I love this station because you can say asshole. <laughs> so I'm about to say that now because there's something on the cover of the book, which might I say is actually the most stunning cover. It's a lovely cover. Where, where does yeah. this cover come from? It's Victoria Peters from Jane Says. It's stunning. It's I love it. It's cover. very, it's like, it's very of now. It's the zeitgeist. Absolutely. It's tribal. Yeah. It's yeah. a tribal pattern, yeah. but it's in pastels. Yeah. I actually want this for my curtains. I, it's a stunning cover. It's it, their carrier bags and their telephone covers. I had the carrier bags, Lucky. which I've repurposed Good for man. a gift. I've, I've Upcycled. Good. So I'm um, I'm very pleased with that with with what it was delivered in. But uh, what I most want to talk about is what it says on the cover of your book. It says the less than zero of 2015. Well, unless you're kind of 40 years old, you won't know <laughs> less than zero, which was one of Brett Easton Ellis's books, which was made into a film in the yes. 
late 80s. I think so. Starring yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. Who was underrated and I don't know where he is today. Yeah. But it was a fantastic film and it was about a tribe. Very, yeah. Very much. It was I can a understand. cult book. Quite a cult book. It was a cult book. But what most interests me is that it's set by Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, that's like my favorite band in the whole universe. Uh, I don't really brave concerts very much these days. But I did go to the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert when they played here last year or the year before. It was awesome. Um, how do you even know Chad Smith? How did you get him to read your book? What sexual favors did you provide for him to turn the pages of your novel? Um, Chad is a, he's a friend of ours. Um, he's a happily married friend of ours. Um, I want to be a friend of yours now. <laughs> if you invite Chad to dinner, I'll come. But I mailed him and I said, I've got this book and I think you should do the shot. And he was like, nobody's interested in what I've got to say. How did you get to um, be friends with Chad? Uh, we just kind of met through friends okay. and we became friends. Okay. Um, and he said, send the manuscript I can actually read. So we sent it to him and he came back with a quote that was if you don't love this book you're an arsehole it's the less than zero of 2015 i wish they'd put that on the cover well so that we kind of freaked out with the publishers and they said we can't put arsehole on the cover so i went back to chad and i said i'm very embarrassed can you come up with anything else because we can't put arsehole on the cover and he came back with if you don't love this book you're an idiot the less than zero of 2015. So I kind of was like, he needed some editing. He needed some editing, which is why it just go now it just goes the less than zero of 2015. I actually, it's still a good quote. And if yeah. you're an arsehole, if you don't read this would have been better, but what can you do? Yeah. We sent him a copy yesterday and I was kind of like, Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm who's, who else is going to comment? Is it Barack Obama next? Um, you know, so I mean, don't like aim interested. for the sky, please. <laughs> um, I don't, there's a, a song list recommended listening at the back of the book. And we have, we've actually got some friends who are on that list and we'll see how they feel. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, I thought it was a fantastic tribute and I was very impressed right. yeah. that, that Chad liked the book or had read it. And now I wanted to talk a little bit about your writing process. And I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about the rest of the book because I really don't want to give it away for, for people. And I hope that we have given you out there listeners enough of a taste to know that this really is a book that you want to read. And it's on shelves now in exclusive books and other bookstores. All stores. major outlets. All yeah. major outlaws, good bookstores, bad bookstores. Any bookstore. Right. And hopefully yeah. it's an ebook too. Uh, yeah. And your publisher has come into the new age. Yes, they actually Good. have. When yeah. I published my first book in 2004, ebooks were but a glint in the eye of the world. Yeah. And it took South African publishers another 10 years to make it into an ebook, which was a little bit behind the curve. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm pleased to, to hear that it is in yeah. ebook form as well. You can download it onto your Kindles. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So tell us about writing and getting up every day and what kind of discipline does that take? Yeah, I am a person who's singularly lacking in discipline. <laughs> well, it's very, I'm always so in awe of anybody who's finished a book. Um, that can't be that bad. Yeah, I don't know. It's but for the grace of God. I think that it is the characters who have driven me to f finish this book. This is a book 
particularly that I gave up on at least three times. And what was it? Did you feel the story was just not flowing or did you feel uninspired? Were you at a, did you get writer's block? I suppose it was writer's block. I wasn't, I just was not keen on it. And I always say that unwritten characters go feral inside your brain. And I think they were going particularly feral and getting very uptight and just determined to be written. Um, there are some very strong-willed characters. In, in fact, that they book. all seem pretty strong-willed. They are. There's they no one are. there who's a pushover. No. Or someone wishy-washy. No, no. And there are people who are accustomed to getting their own way. And I think... I know they're fictional characters, but they are characters who were like, you got us this far. You promised us a place in a whole book. So they were haunting you. They, yeah. They were, which is funny because Bubbles actually was a dead person who had been dead since 1949. And the minute she got inside my brain, she was like, come on, sister, I want my life and story. And was she not, she, now this is the book I did not read, so forgive me any errors, but is this not the woman who was a murderer? No, she was murdered. She was murdered. She okay. was murdered. Which is also just as scary as being haunted by a murderer is somebody who wants you to bring some kind of justice to them through what you're doing. Do you know what was the weirdest thing about Bubbles was that because she she had been murdered and um, the people who murdered her had never gone to jail and they had never received any punishment. And I think that she might be dead, but there was an unwritten, unspoken... Uh, I, I know people are cynical, but there was kind of a pact between the ghost of Bubble Schroeder and I. That but you're really freaking me out. Now so I know I do believe in ludicrous. ghosts. It is ludicrous. I've spent radio shows talking fully about the ghosts that have haunted me. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, freaking me out. But yes, I understand. I'm seeing Denzel Washington in the film. <laughs> I'm seeing perhaps no, no. She she's a bit too, bit too young to play that character, but could make a very good book <laughs> from the sounds of it. A book about an author being haunted <laughs> by it's very Stephen King. I like um, it. it, but it wasn't sinister. It was kind of like she. I woke up every morning and I had her story, and it was a great. I got rich. I felt always felt I got retribution for her. So we were kind of. We cohabited together very happily um, until I completed it. And then once I'd completed it, I could kind of wash my hands. Wash your hands and say, there's the book. I've done what I can for you. So I did, bugger off now. I did good by you. <laughs> yes. And that book was three years ago, two years ago. I think three. So yeah. one book every two or three years is not that bad. You have authors who take hiatuses of... Five years, six years between books. So you're not doing badly at all for somebody who says that they lack the, the discipline. I started writing about 10 years ago. So it's more than three. And in between that raising spawn. That's, there's that. They're raising me Ra a lot of the time. By, <laughs> being raised by three militant triplets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. They're triumvirate. I understand. <laughs> and then, then of course, did you, how long did this book take for you to write? Tribe took a long time. Tribe, I stopped halfway and started writing another book. I wrote short stories. I honestly tried not to write this book. I honestly and truly. And how do you feel now that it's out there and you've done it? It's done and dusted. Yeah, you feel great. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Yeah. Yes. I'm so on to the next one. I'm and so what, excited. And what will the next one be? 
The next one is a journey through time. It's completely different to anything I've ever done. I like it. Yeah, it's it goes from pre-biblical Ethiopia to um I sense a lot of research. Oh, <laughs> I need a research intern. Yeah, you need I a need research a research intern. intern. Anyone uh, okay. who wants no, to be? No, no, yeah. I'm I'm too busy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting story. It goes Ethiopia, India, Poland, South Africa, Ethiopia. Sounds fantastic. Sounds fabulous. And you've already got the characters mapped out in your head. I actually have. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And so do you plan the book before you write it? Do you know how it's going to end or does it surprise you? Not usually. And Tribe was a complete surprise. As I say, there was a long time that I thought Jude would commit suicide and it made me so sad because I just adored him. And I was kind of bereft. I thought it's going to be such a sad world if people like Jude can't make Mm. it. Mm. And it surprised me that he lived and it gave me so much joy. But it was I didn't plan it Mm. at all. Mm. And you've just given away the end of the book. But it's, it's not. To me. There is so much else that happens. There honestly I'm is so, so glad. much. I'm so glad. Although I never for a moment after them meeting in the game lodge thought that he wouldn't make it. Yeah. Because I thought, how can you not bolstered by this kind of support and love? Because when you're surrounded by that, you have an obligation not just to yourself, but to everybody else to, to live. He kind of owed it to them. To live. Yes. Um, I had that, that, that yeah. sensation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think what the reader goes, the reader goes into a book with one experience in mind and the writer goes into the book with another experience and these characters, these fictional characters go into a book with something else and it's always the characters who will win mm. <laughs> in the end. Mm. And, and you have this already in mind for your next book as well. The characters that know which ones, you know, which ones are going to win. Next book, and I am in control. The oh, characters okay. think they're in So you're control. not going to be haunted this time. Yeah. I'm You've got boss. to hold on all those little <laughs> Casper ghosts. Okay. Yeah. You're holding them tightly. Oh yeah. I've all got right. the pen in my hand. Well, good. Well, I look forward to our next chat about your next book. Yeah. And, yeah. and I hope that it doesn't take you too long to write and that you don't hit a wall when you're getting there. And yeah. how, how do you feel right now about the South African literary landscape? Because to me, it's a very exciting place to be interacting with at the moment or be involved with. I think at the moment, South African literature is cooking on gas. I think we are producing sensational writers. I just finished reading Perfect Longwani's Josie and it is. That is one that I have not read oh, yet. It's magnificent. It's, Every sentence is carved, it's effortless, but magnificent. There are so many gorgeous, brilliant books there are, coming out. And what out. amazes me is the wide range of diversity of stories. Absolutely. We're not being boxed into the story that has to be told, the South African story. And I think the film industry in this country suffered from that for quite a long time, you know, to tell the perfect South African story. Yeah. But I think the, the books world never really seemed to, to suffer from that. No. So no. there's a huge amount of creativity. Next week on the show, I've got Andrew Miller, who's just won an award for his book, Dubsteps. Okay. Which I'm is, reading it now. Yes, it's also I, great. I'm, I'm not finished myself reading it. And that's about a futuristic uh, look, an apocalyptic look at Johannesburg. Yes, uh, yeah. And it's yeah. very, very interesting. So there's just so many. There's sci-fi, there's fiction, there's memoir. Whatever genre you enjoy, there, it's it's out there. And we have some fantastic authors. And 
I think this slot is an opportunity f- to to really ce- celebrate them. So I'm hoping that we'll have many more Book Central slots. Well, there's also us as a public and a country who do not support our own well, writers. Well, that was the next point that I yeah. was going to make was that it's a sad fact that only about 500,000 people in this world buy, in this world, in this country buy books. And that's and very, very sad. It's very hard local. to, I know, and it's, it's hard to sustain yourself if you are wanting to make a living out of being an author. But that's a chat for next time. And there's yes. quite a lot <laughs> to say about that because we have to wrap up now. But Rolla, thanks so much for, Thank for coming and being on cliffcentral.com. If you want to listen to the podcast, then, you can because <laughs> it's going to be out there and uh, you can Google it into one of your devices and you'll find it. Or you can go to cliffcentral.com. Uh, you can tweet at cliffcentral.com. You can go to Facebook, WeChat, Cliff Central. He's everywhere. Cliff is everywhere. He's, he's everywhere. Rare and social disease. Completely. Thanks for joining us. And we hope to see you same time, same place next week. Thank you. It's your special guest host on cliffcentral.com.